Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Happy New Year and welcome to episode 125 of the GDPR Weekly Show, our first episode of 2021. So coming up in this week's episode, we have a look at the EU-UK GDPR situation. Now that the EU and UK have reached a trade deal and the UK has totally ceased to be a member of the EU. We then have news of a data breach at T-Mobile and that's followed by news of a data breach in Japan at Kawasaki. We then travel to America where an interesting legal case is developing as a plaintiff is trying to sue Walmart for a data breach which Walmart says never happened. We then have an update on the SREMS 2 situation and what's happening there on data transfers between the US and both the EU and the UK. We then have news that financial services company Ledger is saying that it won't pay compensation to its users after a data breach because if it did so, it simply doesn't have the assets and would be forced out of business. We then have news of a data breach broker selling millions of records online. And we then have news of a data breach at Ronwe, a popular Hong Kong-based e-commerce site. And then we then return to Ireland, where Ireland is seeking to gain the majority of the financial services market post the 1st of January 2020, essentially in a new world where the UK is separated. Ireland believes it's in a very good situation to grab business which is currently conducted in the financial services sector in London and move that to Dublin. So as always, wide-ranging articles for you this week. We hope you find the information useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every piece of email we receive. Unfortunately, we do not have the time to reply to each piece of correspondence individually, but we will respond to you wherever we can, and we will certainly seek to put any of your proposed improvements into future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Stay home, stay safe. Earlier this week, we released a special episode, episode 124, looking at the impact of Brexit on GDPR now that the EU and UK have ratified a trade deal between the two. We recommend you go back and listen to episode 124 if you haven't done so already. But to summarise, the situation that we're in now has good news and bad news. The good news is that the EU has granted data adequacy to the UK for a period of another four months from the 1st of January 2021. So that takes us to the beginning of May. And also that that four-month period will automatically be extended to six months. So that would take us to the beginning of July 2021, providing neither the EU or the UK raise an objection to that extension. But what it doesn't make clear at all at the moment is how that objection will be raised or what would be considered a valid objection. But doubtless that will come out in the weeks to come. That's all good news because it means if you are dealing with EU data right now, essentially, you don't need to do anything. You can just carry on as you are. However, as with all these things, the devil's in the detail. So though you can carry on that data transfer, there's still things you need to do. You still need to set up a EU agent to give you a physical location within the EU for the EU data authorities to deal with. And as we've mentioned before on the GDPR Weekly Show, we're very happy to set that up for you via a contact of ours in the Netherlands 
who can provide a Netherlands-based external DPO for you to satisfy that requirement. So if you'd like to take advantage of that, please contact us using the details that are coming up at the end of this article. But there are other things you need to do too. You need to, as a matter of some urgency, amend your privacy policies wherever they appear, whether that's on your website, whether that's written privacy policies that you've given to your customers and suppliers, whether it's written privacy policies you've given to your employees. They all need updating to take account of UK GDPR, which has now replaced EU GDPR. And it's not quite as simple as just swapping the words over. There's a bit more involved to it than that. And so again, that is a service which we are offering to our clients and to you as listeners of the GDPR Weekly Show that we will update your privacy policy and give you the new wording for you to use. And we have a bargain price for that for you. The regular price for the new privacy policy, if you're a new customer to us, would be £147 plus VAT. But for listeners of the GDPR Weekly Show, if you quote GDPR Weekly Show when you get in touch with us to order your new privacy policies, we reduce that to £97 plus VAT. So you save £50 plus VAT on having your privacy policies updated. And again, to do that, just contact us using contact details coming up at the end of this article. So that's the EU agent, and that's the privacy policy. The other thing you need to do is revisit any data protection impact assessments or data privacy impact assessments you may have carried out to again make sure that they are compliant with UK GDPR and also to ensure that wherever they mention data transfers, they take account of the new ruling on data transfers to the EU, and indeed, probably need revisiting to look at any implications from SREMS 2, which may be affecting those data transfers. Again, that's a service we can offer, but we need to price that on a one-by-one basis, but again, as listeners of the GDPR Weekly Show, you will get a discount. So again, if you need help with rewriting or revisiting your data protection impact assessments, your other data protection policies to bring you into speed with UK GDPR, then please just contact us using the contact details which are coming up and we'll be delighted to deal with that for you. We will be returning to the new UK EU GDPR situation in the next few weeks to regularly update you on things as they become clearer as these parts of the negotiation actually work their way through into the real world. So grab a pencil or have your tablet in hand because coming up now are those very essential contact details for you to get in touch with us. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. Teletoms provider T-Mobile has started the new year with details of a data breach in which customers' proprietary network information, CPNI, including their phone numbers and call records, was exposed online. T-Mobile began informing its customers via text message that a security incident had occurred that may have impacted some of their account information. On its website, T-Mobile explained that its security team recently discovered malicious, unauthorised access to its systems. Following the discovery, an investigation was launched with assistance from leading cybersecurity forensic experts to determine what happened and exactly what customer information was exposed. According to T-Mobile, the CPNI accessed by hackers may have included customers' phone numbers, the number of lines on their accounts, and in some cases, call-related information. Thankfully, though, the data access did not include customers' names, addresses, email addresses, financial data, credit card information, social security numbers, tax IDs, passwords, or PINs. 
Affected customers have already received text messages from T-Mobile informing them of the situation, but they should remain on the lookout for any suspicious text claiming to be from T-Mobile or messages containing links to third-party websites, as cybercriminals often use these details to launch phishing attacks to try and steal user credentials. When we get further news on this data breach from T-Mobile or from the ICO, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. To Japan now, and Kawasaki Heavy Industries has suffered a data breach, which has potentially exposed sensitive data to external parties. Kawasaki, which manufactures motorcycles, military aircraft and industrial machinery, among many other products, said in an internal audit back in June revealed that its domestic servers had been accessed via an overseas office in Thailand. It later discovered further unauthorized access via satellite offices in Indonesia, the Philippines and the USA. Japanese media reported that the access started in September 2019 at the latest. The Japan Times also quoted Kawasaki as saying that administrator ID and passwords had been stolen as part of the incident. In a statement, Tokyo headquarters Kawasaki said that entry to its servers had been carried out with advanced technology that did not leave a trace. They stated that an investigation had revealed that information related to unknown content may have been leaked to a third party. It is not clear what type of data was accessed or indeed how big the data breach was. According to the Japan Times, the cyber attack may have been launched in an effort to obtain defence-related information, although Kawasaki will not confirm this. In their statement, Kawasaki said, At the present time we have found no evidence of leaking information, including personal information, to external parties. Customers who may have been affected by the unauthorised access are being contacted individually. Kawasaki has also established an in-house cybersecurity team, which it says will strengthen security measures, analysing the latest unauthorised access methods to prevent recurrence. Stay home, stay safe. To America now, and an interesting case where someone is trying to sue Walmart for damages for a data breach, which Walmart say never happened. So to give a bit of background, back in July 2020, the plaintiff filed a class action complaint against Walmart alleging that Walmart suffered a data breach which Walmart had never disclosed. As evidence of the breach, the plaintiff presented claims that the personal information associated with his Walmart account had been discovered on the dark web and presented the results of security scans performed on Walmart's website, which allegedly showed certain vulnerabilities. On December 12, 2020, Walmart filed a motion to dismiss all the plaintiff's claims, which include, amongst others, a claim under the California Consumer Privacy Act, the CCPA, which regular listeners will know we've mentioned before here on GDPR, weekly show as being very similar to GDPR, and a claim under the California Unfair Competition Law, UCL, arguing that the plaintiff failed to state viable claims. In addition to the specific arguments which we will come to for the CCPA and UCL claims, the motion presents several additional arguments, including the allegation that the plaintiff cannot make the requisite showing of cognitive harm. Specifically with respect to CCPA, Walmart argues that the plaintiff failed to allege when the data breach occurred, which makes it impossible to determine if CCPA actually applies. CCPA expressly provides it is not operative until January 1st, 2020, and it contains no clauses that apply retroactively. Walmart's motion argues that the court should follow the precedent set by Judge Cho in In Re Yahoo Inc. Customer Data Security Breach Litigation, which reached the conclusion that a claim under the recently amended California Customer Records Act, COA, had to be dismissed when the plaintiffs failed to allege when the alleged violation occurred. 
The motion also urges the court to dismiss the UCL claim on the grounds, amongst others, that a UCL claim cannot be based on alleged violations of CCPA. CCPA states that nothing in this title should be interpreted to serve as the basis for a private right of action under any other law. Furthermore, during the negotiations for the passage and amendment of the CCPA, two separate California Senate Judiciary Committee reports acknowledged that CCPA eliminates the possibility of a private right of action outside of the narrow claim related to data breaches. So to summarise, the resolution by the talk of the motion to dismiss could shed light on two interesting questions related to CCPA litigation. Firstly, whether CCPA could be read to apply to data breaches that occurred before its effective date, but were subsequently discovered after the effective date. And secondly, whether CCPA may allow for the private right of action outside of the now provision on data breaches. So we will continue to follow this case for you because it does set some interesting precedents. And once we have a judgment, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. 365 days of reliable and objective news. We began this week with a look at how Brexit was going to affect GDPR now that the UK has fully left the European Union and the transition period has expired. But the other carryover from 2020 into 2021 is probably the outcome from the SREMS 2 case, which we covered extensively in previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. If you want to know more of our own thoughts on the SREMS 2 case, you should refer back to previous episodes and specifically episodes 57, 100 and 104 of the GDPR Weekly Show. However, back to today and the issue that SREMS 2 is still posing problems for data transfer to and from the US. The initial recommendation from the EDPB, the European Data Protection Board, was to get standard contractual clauses included in your contracts with any organisations that you are performing data transfers with who are based in the US. And indeed, we provided help to a good number of organisations on that ourselves with helping them draft the standard contractual clauses into their existing contracts because clearly you can't just add it in as an addendum. You do need to actually think about how it impacts on any other aspects of the contract that you may have in place with your US data controller or data processor. However, things are now moving on a further step and the EDPB is now saying that you perhaps don't need standard contractual clauses if you have a secure way of encrypting the data that you're transferring from the EU or the UK to the US. And essentially the key for decrypting that data always remains in Europe. So what that means is you can't have an encrypted file going to the US and in a separate email you send them the key because that actually then still fails the SREMS 2 test. However, there is a way around that because if you keep the key for decryption on your servers here in the UK and you provide a mechanism where users in the US have to log in to your UK server to gain access to that key and hence decrypt the data, then that And we would suggest that in conjunction with the standard contractual clauses would enable you to be compliant with the judgment from SREMS 2. Now clearly there are some technical issues there and also some issues to look at regarding the wording with your existing suppliers, whether they be data controllers or data processors in the US. So if you're in that situation, we would strongly suggest that you contact us for more help 
and you can do that using the contact details that are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. Digital currency hardware wallet firm Ledger has stated that it will not reimburse users who were affected by its data breach. In a recent interview, Pascal Gauthier, the CEO of the company, stated that with the magnitude of the hacked users, compensation would sink his company financially and force the company out of business. To give a bit of background, back in June 2020, hackers attacked Ledger, stealing the email addresses of 1 million customers. At the time, the Paris-based company claimed that the hackers had only stolen additional information such as home addresses and phone numbers for 9,500 users. However, it's since been confirmed that the personal information for 272,000 users was stolen. In a statement, the CEO of Ledger said, When you have a data breach of this magnitude for such a small company, we won't reimburse for a million users all the devices. That's just not possible. It would just kill the company. Instead, it said Ledger is focusing on the future, putting systems in place to ensure such a breach cannot recur. Several Ledger users have revealed on Twitter and Reddit that criminals are now threatening to invade the user's homes. In one sample email of a threat to the user, the criminal states, I have recently become aware of your cryptocurrency holdings. I also live in your location, and I also know that you live at, and then stated the user's address. I'm not afraid to invade your home. I'm offering to you $500. Shouldn't be too much to you, considering the recent amount you invested, to leave you alone. The email goes on to threaten the user that failure to pay will force the criminal to invade the house and inflict physical harm. Ledger's CEO, however, dismissed these threats as empty. He said the database has been out of use for six months and nobody has yet reported a related attack. Nevertheless, users should take precautions such as not storing private data keys in their homes. Would you keep a million dollars in cash at home? If you had that much wealth, you shouldn't keep it in your house, he said. Already, Ledger users have reported losing their digital currency holdings to the hackers. One user narrated on Twitter the hackers changed his passwords on Coinbase, Binance and Dropbox. They then went on to steal $2,000 worth of digital currency from his Coinbase Pro account before he could retain control of his online identity. This is obviously an ongoing story, so we'll bring you updates in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. A data breach broker is selling the allegedly stolen user records for 26 companies on a hacker forum. When hackers breach a company's database, they commonly work with data breach brokers in market and sell the data for them. Brokers would then create posts on hacker forums and dark web marketplaces to market the stolen data. Last Friday, a data broker began selling a combined total of 368.8 million stolen user records for 26 companies on a hacker forum. While the majority of these breaches were already known, eight were data breaches that had not previously been disclosed. The companies involved with those breaches are teespring.com, myon.com, checkbook.com, anyvan.com, eventuals.com, wahoofitness.com, sitepoint.com and clickindia.com. It's understood that Teespring is being sold for between $3,800 and $4,000, MyOn for $2,800 and Checkbook for $1,800. The broker has not decided on pricing for the other databases. MyOn confirmed that their system was breached but stated that students' private data was not exposed. In a statement, they said, In July 2020, we were made aware of a bad actor trying to sell portions of our data on the dark web. We immediately began investigating to shut down any continued threats to our data or the data of our customers. We were then able to confirm that according to federal and state privacy laws, no confidential student or customer data was compromised, 
and this incident did not rise to the level of an actual breach of student private data. We are committed to the protection of the privacy of our users and customers' data and have instituted supplemental protections in addition to our standard information security measures. Additional information about these efforts is outlined in our information security overview and our online privacy hub at https colon slash slash www.renaissance.com slash privacy, Myon said. Meanwhile, checkbook.com denied claims that it had been breached. It said there had been no data breach and no information belonging to our customers has been compromised. Data security is a key priority area for us and we conduct periodic security audits to ensure the safety of our customers' information. Teespring are currently investigating whether they have been breached. As always, our recommendation would be that if you are a customer of any of these companies, then you change your user password and you also change your password where you've used the same password for other online services. Stay home, stay safe. To Hong Kong now, and a retailer who is very popular in the US, Rombi, has said that their account may have been compromised. The Hong Kong-based retailer, Rombi, announced that it encountered a security breach of customer data. It explained that it discovered on September the 7th that some usernames and passwords may have been stolen from its network back in July 2018, as determined by internal and external forensic investigation. In a statement, the company said, In an abundance of caution, Ron Wee has taken the steps to notify all potentially affected individuals and to provide resources to assist them. Ron Wee takes the protection of its customers' information seriously and sincerely apologises for any inconvenience this incident may cause. According to the website, which was founded just over a decade ago, the usernames and passwords could be provided access to some customers' data, including their names, emails and phone numbers, as well as other optional information they may have added to their account. Ronwee stated it does not store customers' debit or credit card numbers, and so their financial information would not have been affected in this data breach. The statement went on to say, Over the past several years, Ronwee has continued to improve its security protections as part of its regular security program activities, including by increasing password encryption and using more advanced intrusion detection technology. For the present matter, we have also forced password resets for all potentially affected customers. The retailer said that it had already alerted customers to the steps they can take to monitor and protect their personal information. It's also established a toll-free call centre to answer questions about the incident and related concerns. If you're in the US or Canada, then you should reach out to them at 1-877-218-7105. That's 1-877-218-7105 from 7am to 7pm Eastern Time. Ronwe announced that it was also offering dark web monitoring at no cost through software firm ID experts. Instructions on how to sign up were included in an email notice sent yesterday to potentially affected individuals. Ronwe said that they hoped that users would stay with them, but if any users wish to delete their accounts, then customers should visit their My Account page and click on Account Security, followed by Delete Account. Typically, the account will be deleted in three days, and a notification email will automatically be sent upon successful deletion. Once deleted, shoppers will be unable to recover or reinstate their account or any related information. They will also be unsubscribed from the mailing list. If we receive any further update from Ron Wee, we will of course bring it to you as soon as possible here on the GDPR Weekly Show. <laughs> Having started this week on Brexit, we also finish on Brexit. And this time looking at the financial services industry where Ireland sees an opportunity for windfall given that the UK is currently not an adequate country for financial transactions according to the rules laid down by the EU. In the interim, the EU has granted temporary equivalence rights to British clearinghouses 
as London has much of the financial plumbing which manages trillions of dollars of derivatives contracts every day. Over the past 50 years, London's financial services centre has taken over much of the EU financial market, managing the 90 trillion euro fund management industry, which allows UK managers to manage EU clients' money out of London. Indicating that this situation will not be allowed to continue, Mayred McGuinness, the EU's Financial Services Commissioner, warned earlier in December that the EU cannot permit itself to be captured by the City of London, saying our interest is in making sure that we are not captured by a system that we don't regulate or control by it. One of the reasons we trade well with the UK is because it's the least regulated within the EU. Member states, despite the Single Market and Services Directive, have 368 regulations concerning services and thousands of regulations relating to regulated professions. Professional services are the least regulated in the United Kingdom, Ireland and Finland. The highest level of regulation is found in Italy, Luxembourg and Germany. A major concern is that the UK's own regulations may not be accepted as adequate under EU data protection rules because although as we covered in the first article this week and we covered also in episode 124 of the GPR Weekly Show, whilst has been given now this six-month holiday effectively to negotiate adequate status, it's by no means guaranteed at the moment that at the end of those six months adequate status will be awarded. But whatever barriers are raised by other countries, London is likely to keep its own doors open. Rishi Sunak, Chancellor Exchequer, has already granted EU access to UK markets, despite this not being reciprocated by Brussels. EU regulators want certain business currently conducted in London to take place in the EU, and Dublin in Ireland feels itself well-placed to serve a lot of this business given that it's in the EU and its regulations are not as tight as other countries. So far, banks and fund managers have relocated 1.3 trillion euros of assets to the EU from the UK and more than 7,500 jobs have left the country in the same period, according to Ernst & Young. Since the referendum, 44 firms have announced plans to make local hires in the EU for 2,850 existing or newly created roles. Dublin, Luxembourg, Frankfurt, Paris and Amsterdam are among the main beneficiaries of jobs and assets moving out of London. The view from Ireland is that the UK still has much to lose and Ireland much to gain. More than 90% of euro-dominated interest rate derivatives and 84% of foreign exchange trading in the EU take place in the UK. From Ireland's point of view, there are a number of possible paths ahead. Focus on new, fast-growing business lines such as foreign exchange and derivatives or establish Dublin as the EU green or sustainable finance centre. Another is that it could become an entry hub for the fintech digital finance companies in the US and Asia looking to enter the EU market, with of course lots of high-technology companies already choosing Ireland as their base for the EU. A spokesman for the Irish government said, we've managed to dominate the global aviation leasing finance market. There's good reason to believe that Ireland could do the same in other sectors of the financial services market now that the UK has exited the EU. So some interesting potential thoughts there, and I'm sure that's something which we will return to at intervals during 2021. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Until next time, bye-bye.